Amen. Good morning. Hey, we're, we're back in the sermon uh, series of Exodus. That's no shock to anyone here. But I do want to say, even before we get started on this, you know, we're, we're doing the, the candy drive thing, right? We do this every year, you know, to poison our children come Easter, right? And to send them home as raven lunatics, juiced up and over-sugared. And we do it because we love you, right? Right? Well, Craig came in this morning. He had a big bag of uh, candy. He had uh, Kit Kats, maybe. I, I did. It was, it was a, it was a, a, a you know, a, a variety bag, big bag. And he, he said, Trent, I don't know what to do with this. Where, where do I put this? And I said, that, that goes in my office. <laughs> right? Right? So if I start to act like maybe I'm a little sugared up this morning, we can blame Craig. Right? Right? I may have been in a Kit Kat or two. I'll not say whether I have or I haven't. Amen? All right. Exodus. Exodus. Uh, we're going, we're actually, we finished up last week in chapter 24. Now I want to say something. I want to explain something to you guys. I don't know how many of you guys have read through Exodus or you've done any extensive studies in the book of Exodus. What we're about to get into is some real detailed instructions. Right? And this is kind of a labor-intensive portion of Exodus. Now, what I'm going to do, uh, to your benefit, I do believe, and because I don't want to be redundant in what I share week after week after week, what is about to take place in chapters 25 uh, through 31 is the instructions that God gives to Moses regarding the tabernacle and all the furnitures and all the accessories that go uh, with the tabernacle, right? And it's very, very uh, intense in the sense that it requires a great deal of commitment to navigate through this. What we're going to do, because the end of the chapter that we read last week, it ended in Exodus chapter 24, verse 18, and it, it, it said this, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. What we're going to do is we're going to transition after today from Exodus 24, 18, and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, to Exodus 31, 18, when the Lord finished speaking to Moses on the mount, on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. And you say, well, Trent, no, no, no. We want to go next verse thing. That's, that's who we are. Well, what ends up happening in the scripture is that these detailed instructions are given to Moses, right? When Moses comes down, he basically verbatim gives the exact same instructions to the people of Israel. You see what I'm saying? There is no need for me to cover the same instructions with you twice. So whenever Moses comes down, and we'll pick up on that when we come back to Exodus, and he begins to give the instructions, if there are things that uh, need to be amplified from God giving those instructions to when Moses gives them to the people, we'll touch on that. But it is the same instructions. It would be like me going to Bree and giving her instructions and all of y'all hearing it, and then Bree giving those instructions again to you. It's somewhat redundant in nature. You understand what I'm saying? So I'm doing this for the benefit of everyone here that we might cover this scripture the one time, and that you might have a really clean grasp 
on that scripture, right? Because what ends up happening, like when he deals with the instructions of the tabernacle, that is found in chapters 26 and 36. The ark, the table, and the lampstand is addressed in chapter 25 and chapter 37. The altar of incense is, is addressed in chapter 30 and in chapter 37. The altar of burnt offerings in the courtyard addressed in 27 chapter and 38. The basin of washing addressed in chapter 30 and 38. The priestly garments, the ephod, the breastplate addressed in chapter 28 and in chapter 39. The Sabbath, he addresses it to Moses in chapter 31, and Moses addresses it to the people in chapter 35. So we see this, it's this, it's this uh, two-lane road, basically, that are, that are synonymous with one another, and there's great detail in both, but we'll only cover that one time. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Everyone understands what I'm saying? Okay, so then... Let's go back to Exodus 24. We're going to read these last verses and they're going to transition into the scripture that we're actually going to be reading today, which is the first nine verses of chapter 25. After this, we're coming down from the mountain, okay? Everybody tracking, right? No one's lost this morning, literally or figuratively, hopefully not spiritually. This is what it says in Exodus chapter 24, verses 15 through 18. It said, When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went, up on, went on up the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Then the Lord said to Moses, and that's where we'll stop. We'll cover that scripture as we work our way through it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray this morning as a collective group of your sons and your daughters no hierarchy here, no, no uh, you know, uh, uh, elevated individuals. We're all the same before you. Some of us are called to certain responsibilities and, and some are called to others, but we're all called to responsibilities within the body of Christ. And so, Father, let us all manage through your wisdom and through your spirit the, the responsibilities that you have given us to manage. And so, Father, this morning we're going to navigate your word with the intentions of having our hearts warmed by your truth and our spirits energized by your truth and our minds transformed by your truth. I pray, Father, that anyone who has come into this body this morning with any preconceived notions, with any preconceived dispositions, bent against you. I pray, Father, this morning that even at this very moment their hearts would begin to be softened, their minds uncluttered, and they'd be open to a genuine move of your spirit. Genuine move of your spirit. Understanding how much you love them. Oh God, I pray that that can be conveyed this morning through lips that stutter and stammer, through a heart whose suffers palpitations when standing up or just a clay vessel wanting to speak eternal words. Oh God, help me. 
Help me not get in the way this morning. But may I be a vessel, Lord, used by you, not to my own glory, but to your glory, that your sons and daughters would be increased this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and we ask these things. Amen. 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 All right. Let's look at this. Let's let's prime the well a bit, if you will. Hmm. And so right there in chapter uh, 24, verse 18, it says, and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, that term is used roughly around 20 different times within the Old and the New Testament, the 40 days and 40 nights. And whenever you hear it, it kind of resonates with you because you can kind of recall at certain moments when these 40 days or even the number 40 is used, and it's used throughout the Scripture in significant places, right? Uh, In Genesis, we remember it rained, right, for 40 days and 40 nights. The story of Noah, we, we remember that. In Numbers, uh, the spies that were sent into Canaan, they scoped that place out, cased it out for 40 days and 40 nights, right? It says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, 17, verse 16, Goliath stood before Israel and taunted them for 40 days. And then we remember, right, in uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 8, that Elijah literally fled from Jezebel for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a whole lot of running, right? And then we find uh, in the New Testament, Jesus fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and then was tempted by Satan, right, in Matthew. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we understand that after the resurrection, it was 40 days between that and the ascension. So this thing is kind of working out. You'll, you'll hear that 40, but that's not, that's not the point here. The point that I want you to see here regarding the 40 days is significant to you and significant to me apart from all the other mentionings this morning about 40 days. And I'm going to point this out to you. When you see it, you're going to be like, I got it. I understand that. Been there, done it. Right? And this is what's happening. He goes up to the mountain as God has called him. He's going to receive instructions that basically cover the next seven chapters, right? But here is the point that I've got to make to you. You've got to understand just as I've got to understand. Remember when he goes up there for 40 days, it had been such a long time that the people of Israel thought, this cat ain't coming back, right? Moses as well, in going up to the mountain to be with God, into the presence of God, had no idea either that he would be up there for 40 days and 40 nights. You think if he thought he was climbing that mountain for 40 days and for 40 nights, he would be up there, he wouldn't have taken with him a sack lunch. He wouldn't have taken with him some provision. Man, if I'm going to, to go to this uh, uh, condensed Bible study, this satellite campus, if I'm going to do this online study with God and I can't leave for 40 days or 40 nights, man, I need something. I need some food or something. But Moses climbs up in response to God calling him up. He just is obedient. He moves forward, right? 
And the scripture alludes to the fact that he's not actually alone. Joshua is with him. And we touched on that last week. But he moves up there. And he gets up there and God begins to speak to him. Just like God speaks to us. The incredible thing about this portion of scripture that we've got to get is Moses doesn't come down from the mountain until God is finished speaking. You get that? You get that? How many times in our lives have we engaged in God to the extent of our physical fatigue or at least our ability to concentrate and we just disengage from God prior to God finishing whatever revelation or, or, or understanding he's wanted to give us. We just pull away from God and we leave and say, well, I've, I've engaged God, but I don't have any more understanding than when I first engaged God. As though God had failed to communicate to us in a manner that we can grasp as opposed to us saying, maybe we should have sat a little longer until some understanding and wisdom came into my heart, my spirit, and my mind. You know what I'm talking about? How many times have we abandoned a posture of prayer, a posture of seeking God, because it just wasn't convenient? Now what we're talking about in this portion of Scripture is God setting up uh, the order of worship. And before he even starts to give directions or instructions regarding the worship of himself by his people, we experience this principle of Moses. And that is the fact that we need to stay in the presence of God until God is finished speaking to us. And even then, when leaving, we should always have our ears turned towards God. Hence, the scripture says what? Pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean to keep talking. As a matter of fact, it means more than likely to keep listening. And we're about to find this out. We're about to find this out. And this is what the scripture says in Exodus 25, verse 1 and 2. This is actually the sermon here. That was just kind of an opening thing. Okay? So if those of you that are scared think, oh goodness, it's taking them eight minutes to get through the opening. Kentucky comes on at 245. What am I going to do? Well, if you're a Kentucky fan, this is the best place for you to be, and you should be the ones up here praying at the end of this service. And if they lose and you're not up here, you're getting the blame. I've seen them play this year. They need prayer. This is what the Scripture says. Verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Now how many times have I said, whenever you see that, man, you need to kind of hunker down. You need to kind of hunker down. Now this, remember when I just alluded to the fact of praying without ceasing? And I said it probably alludes more to us not walking around babbling, but more likely walking around with an attentive ear to hear God. Because sometimes we think of praying as us conversing with God as opposed to us listening to God. I hope I'm a better listener to God than I am to my wife. Are you a better listener to God than you are to your spouse? Do you cut God off in conversation? I have a tendency, my wife will start talking, and I'm working on some ADHD or whatever the alphabet issues I've got going on in my head. I'm working, and my wife, my brain is going a thousand different places, Lindsay. She'll get about halfway through it, and then I'll finish her sentence, and she'll say, no, that's not what I was going to say. And I'll say, well, try it again. She'll start again. I'll do, I'll do it again. I'll try to finish it a second time. Look at Kevin right there, so embarrassed and ashamed. He knows he's guilty. 
right? Well, th this is what the scripture says. It says this, the Lord said to Moses. Now, over the next seven chapters through chapter 31, the scripture says, and the Lord said to Moses, or alludes to the Lord finished speaking to Moses eight different times. Now, this cat's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. You know how many times over the next seven chapters that Moses is uh, documented as speaking to God? How about a big fat goose egg? Zero. For 40 days and 40 nights, he is in the presence of God, and God is speaking, and he doesn't say a single word. But he comes down, right, with a great deal of revelation and understanding, right? And that took place not by him conversing with God and explaining to God and teaching God. It came about by him listening to God. So you and I, as followers of Jesus, it is incumbent upon you and I to discipline ourselves that when we engage in prayer, and I don't mean talking, I'm talking about in prayer, in exchange of communication, that we discipline ourselves to really listen. I know how it works, right? This is what we think of prayer, right? We want God to cease movement and activity in the rest of the world, and we want to garner an audience with him, right? We, we, we like this idea of God shutting everybody else off, and then all of a sudden we got an audience with him, and we begin to speak to God. Now, this is the way prayer typically works in the evangelical church. We pour everything out. And then and, and we're, we're disciplined enough to stay on our knees or whatever position we find ourselves in in praying. We pour everything out to God. We're connected. We're locked in. We're locked in to express ourselves. The moment God goes to express back to us, we disengage and we're on the move and we want to count on the move as waiting for his response. You know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden we're busy back with everything else and a thousand different voices are pouring into our lives and we're expecting God, that gentle whisper, that soft whisper, to override all that noise, right? And we never really leave that place with a fixed position in our hearts and our minds to really hear him. The idea and the notion of praying without ceasing isn't to hear God over all that noise and clutter. It's to be able to exist outside of the noise and clutter. To be, to be on a frequency with God that that penetrates. That that voice and that sound, that heart, it, it, it penetrates in a manner and in a way that nothing else, none of that clutter can enter into you. The, cl the clutter always stays external. And the voice of God, when we pray without sin, the voice of God penetrates in an internal, internal manner. It's like being at Walmart. And you parents know this. You parents know this when you, you're at Walmart or any other crazy retail store where there's a thousand people running around. That one voice of your child when it cries out, Dad, or it cries out, Mom. Man, you know that voice. It penetrates. It penetrates all the other stuff. 
You recognize it. You hear it. It, 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 it seats deep into your heart. You can recognize your child's voice amongst a hundred other children. And every mother in here is like, I can. Every dad's in here is thinking, I hope I can. <laughs> you can see, I can see it in your faces now. Every mom's like, yeah, that's who I am. I'm a mom with, with those rabbit ears. And every dad's like, trying to stretch them out like, I, I hope I'll bring home somebody else's kid. And the scripture says, the Lord said to Moses, okay? The Lord said to Moses. Now, I remember, uh, Kellen will remember this gentleman. Kellen may be the only person here who knows who I'm speaking of. There was a gentleman who pastored a church, in, a little Nazarene church in Greensburg, probably 30 years ago. He, he was a good man. He was a quiet man. Um, but I had taken a uh, satellite. Back, back then, they had satellite college courses. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where you go to a given location, a professor would come in and teach the class. Know what I'm talking about? Okay, I was taking a satellite Bible class as an introduction to Christian theology, blah, blah, blah. Okay? Well, this pastor shows up that I know from this church, and his name is Jerry Clunch. Well, Jerry Clunch had his PhD. He was a doctor of theology and whatnot. And I was in this class this class was unlike any class I'd ever been in because it was one of those compressed, accelerated classes. You know what I'm talking about? What would be commonly known back then as lecture courses. Anybody ever had a lecture course? Lecture college class? You know what I'm talking about? Well, the thing about a lecture-style college class is you don't say anything. You don't say anything. The individual giving the lecture, giving the studies, is the only one speaking. He don't have time for you to say anything. He's trying to cover as much information as he can cover over a six, eight, nine week period. So every week I would go up there on Tuesdays and Thursdays and I would sit in these classes for three and a half to four hours with my little recorder. Yes, I'm dating myself with a little cassette. You know what I'm talking about. I'd, I'd, Craig, I'd slap that thing on the desk and I'd hit record. Because I knew I wasn't making it three and a half hours. I could keep my eyes open, but my mind would be somewhere else. I needed to record that. And he would sit there and he would speak for those three and a half, four hours. Because what he was sharing was more important to me than what I would be sharing with him. So I had the recorder on and to the best of my ability, I was engaged and listening. There are times in our lives when we may want to adopt to some degree a mindset to find ourselves in a lecturing course with God. And it might take us recording what God has said, going back over and over and over, listening to this thing, just zipping this thing up, man, and listening. When I encounter people who have these crazy views of God and crazy views of theology and crazy views of eschatology and crazy views of thisology and thatology, typically it's because they've listened this much and they've spoken that much, and somewhere between the two, it's gotten blended up. You know what I'm talking about? Just like a blender. Just blend. And I think, Luis, it would benefit us if we just listened and sat and listened some more. <clears throat> the Lord said to Moses, 
tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. Notice what he says right there. He didn't say uh, to bring Moses an offering. Everything that he's about to ask of these people is to be brought to him. To him, not Moses. And he says this. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. Now this is the first principle that God is establishing in this, uh, this corporate worship amongst the people and himself. And that is this. Worship of God must be a willing thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? It must be a willing thing. God isn't here uh, uh, to receive your worship out of obligation, but out of a willingness and a desire to worship him. If you're here this morning for any other reason than a willing heart to engage with God that he may sharpen and shape you and shape you and change you. If you're here for any other reason out of obligation or my wife got on me or my husband got on me or my, my, uh, I, I committed because my sister-in-law has been badgering me all week. If you're here for any other reason, it's probably not the right reason. Not as a lover of Jesus. Our response to him should be willing. God literally says, an offering from everyone whose heart prompts them. Nadab is the Hebrew word, and it means to be impelled. Not just compelled, but impelled in a sense that it's an inward drivenness. Impelled. Then Moses, when he comes down from the mountain, he says this. When he delivers this same statement to the people, this is what Moses says. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have taken an offering for the Lord, everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. Now the first word was nadab. The second word for willing and prompts is not the same word, though the source word or the, the origin of the word rests in the same word. The second word is the word nadib. And do you know what it adds to nadab? And I'm going to have you all confused. It adds a freedom to give. He's not saying just uh, that you're prompted, but you're giving this, you're free to do this. You're not incarcerated. God hasn't bound you up. God isn't forcing you. This isn't a, a, a labor camp. He is saying if you're willing Understand what you're doing, the prompting in you, is you're free to do this. Free. And you and I should come in here impelled, but free doing so. Not obligated, Daniel. Not obligated, but a free will choice. I want to be. I want to be. I want to worship. I want to engage. I want to see him. I want to be moved in my spirit and my heart and my mind. I want to be changed. I want to be engaged with God. God isn't in the coercing business. Understand this. 
And so you and I have to ask ourselves regarding our worship of God, why am I here? Why do I do what I do? Then he says this. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Listen to this. He says gold, silver, and bronze. Now listen, listen. We've already touched on this before, ain't we? Where these articles came from, right? Remember, they plundered them cats when they were exiting Egypt, right? Remember, and God was the initiator, right? God, God prompted them to give to his children. So this is where the articles come from. But he says to them, of these first three elements, gold, silver, and bronze. Now let me tell you something. Uh, in regards to these three properties, it's basically gold, silver, and copper, if you will. Now the most expensive, the most valuable is the gold, man. And the least valuable of those three elements is the copper. Now we understand that, right? Right? We, we understand that. What I want you to understand about this portion of the scripture is in the tabernacle, the closer you got to the Holy of Holies, the closer you got to God and to His presence, when you entered into that inner sanctuary, the closer you moved into the presence of Almighty God, listen to this, the more valuable was the metal used in the articles within the tabernacle. And you say, well, what are you saying, Trent? Let me say it like this. The closer to the presence of God, the more costly the material. And you say, application, Trent, application. The application is quite simple. As you and I grow closer to God, it's going to cost us more and more of what we count or measure as valuable of ourselves to draw closer to Him. Because the one thing that I know, not just because the Scripture teaches me, and I'm not going to get on this experiential doctrine nonsense, but I will say I've experienced what the Scripture teaches, and that is this, a thinning away of my own person as I pursue Jesus more and more and more. I feel like the proverbial onion being peeled, Jack. You know what I'm talking about? You feel less and less of yourself as you move closer and closer to God. There's less of you to lose because you've not caught or kept more of yourself. So moving towards God is going to cost us what we deem to be or measure to be the valuable aspects of our person. I'm not talking about your money. The mo your money is the least of the valuable things about your person. Isn't that what Jesus said? What profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? You know what I'm talking about? That's the least of your assets. Am I willing to give up those things Am I willing to pay the price, whatever it is, to draw closer to God, whatever it costs me? Am I willing to give that? Or am I holding back and in so holding back, I find myself staying in the outer courts? 
And I look at people who have paid the price, man. I look at those people and I say, I say well, I want, I want what they've got, but I don't want to pay what they've paid, you see? I don't want to be under that load. I don't want the thinning to happen in me. I don't want to lose myself. And Jesus says, you must lose yourself. He goes so far as said, you must deny yourself. You must take up the cross, your cross. We've tried to sanitize the cross, haven't we? We've tried to make it more palatable. But the cross was nothing more than an instrument of execution. I jokingly talk to people all the time because they'll always bring me this stuff. They'll say stuff to me, well, Trent, there's certain things in the, in the church, man, that are just pagan. They have pagan origins. And yet we, we, we embrace that stuff, man, and we celebrate some of that stuff with, with pagan origins. And I'm like, man, what are you talking about? There is no more pagan instrument than a Roman cross, and we cling to that thing like flypaper. And it's a pagan instrument if there was such a pagan instrument. But even God can take an instrument of execution, origins that are pagan, and utilize that for his purposes, and then that becomes a symbol of God's triumph even over cultures that are pagan. Can you imagine the Roman Empire saying, we will kill your king, and God says, and I'll raise him up. Right? What a beautiful image. Right? I don't know where and how I got on that. Let's get back on track, John. Let's get back on track. And he says this. These are the offerings Jordan received from them, gold, silver, and bronze. And you're like, hey, man, I don't have the gold, silver, and bronze. Even the best of me isn't that valuable by most standards. And he says, but not just the gold, silver, and bronze, but the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen. Listen, I could go through what it took for them to create some of these things, it's a difficult thing if they were actually processing this. And he says, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins. Now some of you cats would be delighted to pull up some ram skins. Dwayne, like, if I called for God has spoken and we need ram skins to decorate the sanctuary, old, old Daniel would be over here with his 30-odd six and uh, Dwayne would be over here with seven of his assault rifles that he keeps in his... I ain't going to say where you keep them. I mean, they would say, I'm in on the red, I'm in on those skins. Ain't got much gold. Ain't got much silver, much copper. But I can give what I've got. And I think that's what God is asking, isn't it? This is what the scripture says. Ramskins dyed red and another type of durable leather. Acacia wood. Listen to this. Olive oil for the light. Spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. And onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate. Now the incredible thing about this is that some of these articles were relatively easy to obtain. The acacia wood. That that was numerous. That was native to the land. I mean, the poorest of the poor, man, could go chop down an acacia tree and, and provide that wood. So in everything that God is requiring in this moment for the people to give, you may not be able to give all of that, but everyone in the camp could give some of it. 
So no man's left out in the worship of God. You see that? Even the poorest who can only manage to get a handful of acacia wood can still contribute to the worship of God on a communal level. Do you, do you not see the beauty of how God lays out this worship to include everyone? What if he's calling forth for the articles to build this temple, this tabernacle, and you're on the backside of it, and you can't give anything, and everything in you is wanting to give, and everyone else is giving, and you're on the outside, and you're like, but I have nothing to give. I want. God even made it possible for the least of them to be contributors to this. I feel like the least of them many times. That all I have to bring is acacia wood. But you know, that's what the Ark of the Covenant was made of. Acacia wood. Think about that. Oh, it was covered with gold. But the poorest of people probably brought that wood in. <laughs> Said, this is all I've got. What can you make with this? How about the Ark of the Covenant? Wish the presence of God would reside. I'll take your cheap acacia wood. I'll take the least and I'll cover it with gold. Everyone in here who are acacia wood people ought to be absolutely turned on by the scripture this morning. Okay. When Moses says this to the people in chapter 35, this is what the scripture says that the people did. Remember I was talking about free and willing. You remember? All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. What keeps you? I could name you. I won't. What keeps you from responding to God like that? Just be honest with yourself. This is rhetorical in nature, so don't stand up and start confessing before everyone here. Especially don't be confessing your, your, your spouse's issues, much less your own, right? What keeps you from responding to God like that? Man, freely and willingly, take me. What is that? And he says this, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell amongst them. <laughs> now, I will say this about this sanctuary. This I don't know if you've ever seen pictures. You can go online, man. You can pull up models of the tabernacle. And there's nothing on the outside of the tabernacle that's very attractive. As a matter of fact, when you read about the, uh, the tabernacle, it's basically covered with animal skins, the tabernacle is. Now, there's layers to that. But there's something beautiful about that that kind of resonates in the image of Jesus. And that being, there's nothing about the tabernacle on the outside of it that would draw us to the valuable contents inside. Right? And there's a prophetic... Uh, uh, uttering in a sense that kind of reverberates from that truth and it's found in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 2 when it's speaking about Jesus right it says and he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground 
He, speaking of Jesus, had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. But you know what John said in the book of John? I beheld, he sees the same Jesus, that there's nothing attractive about him that draws John to him. But John sees him and he says, and I beheld his glory. Because the value of Jesus didn't rest on the external appearances. The value of the tabernacle wasn't in the skins of animals, but it was in the content of the inner place where God's presence. It wasn't even the ark. It wasn't even the first. It was the fact that God's presence dwelt in a tent, Jack. That's incredible. But there's another correlation. There's another correlation. This is what the scripture says. He says, make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell amongst them. This is the God of the universe, Greg. We're not talking about some hodgepodge cat you run into at, at, the, at the airport that's handing out brochures for this group or that. I'm talking about the God who spoke into existence all things that exist. And he says, I'm going to live in a tent with you. Now, some of you dads, we got some good dads in here. We got some good camping dads, right? And you'll put that tent up in your backyard. You and your kids, you and your kids go camping in your backyard. You know, that big adventure. Kids six, seven, eight years old. That backyard to them is like being at some huge park somewhere. Because they're sleeping outside in the dark. And you go out there and you're a good dad, but your tent making skills are terrible. You're so prideful, you won't read the directions, your tent's swaying in the wind. Your kids don't care that it's swaying. And all of a sudden, this cheap $50, $60, tent's out there. Your two or three kids are in there, their friends are in there, the hot dogs, the buns are in there. And then big old dad, three times the size of the little kids, too big to be in the tent, goes in the tent anyway. So that the little kids feel like dad's in on this experience. But he seems too big and he seems too grand to be in this tent in the backyard. But because he loves his children, he's willing to spend a night in the cold, in the discomfort of being in this tent to the pleasure of his children. There is no more image, more satisfying to my heart than to imagine God pitching his tent amongst his people, though he's too large and too grand to occupy such a simple place. He chooses to do so. You know what God said? Let's go camping. I'm with you. The whole Emmanuel, you remember the scripture? And he shall be called Emmanuel. God with us. That's what's happening here. Oh, give me a God who will camp in the backyards of my life with me. The word dwell when he says that. He says, I will dwell amongst them. It's, it's the Hebrew word shakan. It's where we get the shakan lit or the shakan glory of God. The shakan glory is not even, that's not even a biblical term. It's something that was ascribed to them by rabbinical, uh, rabbinical Jews. But there is a place for it. It means the dwelling of God. The shekinah and the glory is this presence. 
And so you'll hear that term used within the church, the Shekinah glory. Dwell. Well, John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. He writes these words about Jesus. And see if this doesn't sound familiar. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Skanu, skanu in the Greek. And when you go to the Septuagint, a Greek rendering of the Old Testament, that same word is basically used in the context that we just read in Exodus. You know what skanu means? It means to encamp or to pitch your tent. And that's what John is saying. That the thread of commonality from the Old Testament to the New Testament is intact. And God desired to pitch his tent with his children then. And God still desires through Jesus to pitch his tent amongst common people. That's Jesus. See? We're going to close. Let's close. And then he goes on and, say, and, and, and he says, and I will dwell amongst them. Listen, make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. He said, we got the, the ingredients. Now the master chef's going to cook a beautiful meal. He said, Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So what is he saying right here? You can say, well, he's saying a lot of things. What do you mean he's saying? How do you interpret? We've already talked about a willing worship. We've already talked about a costly worship. Now we're talking about an obedient worship. You know why? Because God determines what is acceptable and unacceptable regarding our worship of him. This isn't arbitrary. God isn't in this for a discussion and a negotiation about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. God is the one who determines. He says, I have, I have directed you. This will be the pattern in which this will be done. You need to concede to what I'm saying. We're not calling the shots in regards to this. I have people in my own family that when I speak to them about Jesus, you know what they say to me? And they have the audacity to say this, yet I love them because it's spoken out brokenness. They'll say, well, me and God's got our own thing going. You ever heard people say that nonsense? And I'm like, God, God isn't on or in having your own thing with him. That's not the way it works. You're either in with the way God determines this thing to be or you're not in. People will come to me and say, well, I'm a Christian, but I just don't, I don't adhere to that. I'm not, then you're not a believer. You're not a Bible believer, born again follower of Jesus. You can't look at Jesus and say, I know you say these things, but I'm going to do it another way, yet I'm going to call myself following you, though I find myself on the opposing side of what you have stated to be true. Right? And so at some point in this, man, we've got to come under him. Now we're closing. The game ain't for another two hours. Who's that? Ricky, put that Kentucky flag down. 
back pew. Shame on you. Shame on you. Listen. Listen. In John chapter 4, verses 19 through 26, this thing's being addressed. It's being addressed. Jesus wanders up on this woman. We know he didn't really wander up though, right? And it was all, man, it was scheduled, right? We believe this. It's this woman at Jacob's well, right? And she's drawing water. Jesus inquires of the woman. He prophesies to her, gives her this insight into her own life. Says, hey, I know about your husband, all of them. And I know about the one that you're with now who's not. Right? And then the woman's response is this. Sir, the woman said, listen, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. You know what she was saying? We do it this way. You guys do it that way. <laughs> Neither here nor there. Hey, we all got our own thing going. That's basically what she's saying. That's what she's saying. You know what Jesus says to her? Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. This is correct. Yet a time is coming and has now come. He said, it's here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. You know what he's saying? Their way, their way ain't going to do it. Your way ain't going to do it. The only way it's going to do it is my Father's way. And he says, this is the only thing, this is the only way it's happening. It's got to be done through the spirit and through the truth. And the truth is God's word. No other way. Non-negotiable. It's not up for discussion. And the woman responds to him after that revelation and says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. You know what Jesus says back to her? I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I just explained it to you. That's what he said. I just dropped the answer on you. Okay, we're, we're practically done. Practically done. We're practically done, John. But I want one more verse. <laughs> well, give me one. I, I, the word just keeps pulling me back. I feel like Marlon Brando. I just keep trying to, or whoever it is. I just, Al Pacino, I don't know, whoever. I get pulled back. John chapter 14, verse 6, right? Jesus sums this whole thing up. And he says it, and man, there's no running, ducking, or hiding from this. Right? This is what Jesus says. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No man comes through the Father except through me. I can't be a follower of Jesus and look at him and say, I disagree with you, Jesus. At that moment, you have failed to be a follower, Jeremiah. 
Because a follower of Jesus looks at Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through me. A follower of Jesus says, Amen. Amen. If you want to be a follower. Now, if you don't want to be a follower, you can object all you want to object to. You can object all you want to object. But if you're a follower, this isn't debatable. And in the Old Testament, God established these principles, and the principle is God's right. And we're either right with him or we're wrong without him. And you can wrestle through all the doubts you've got. You can wrestle through all the nonsense you've heard on YouTube. You can wrestle through all the issues and all the debates that you've heard Dawkins and Lennox and all these other people debating this, that, and another. You can wrestle through the, the MacArthur videos. You can wrestle through the Vody Bachman. You can wrestle through all these other videos. Paul, you can wrestle through every one of those things. You can wrestle with the, the skeptics and the atheists and the agnostics. It doesn't change what Jesus said. It doesn't change what Jesus said. So we're left with that. We're left with the decision coming into the worship of God, understanding that it must be a willing and it's going to cost you because it's got to be done His way. Amen? Amen. All right, stand with me this morning. Stand with me. Hey, listen, when we come back into Exodus, we're coming down the mountain with the, the, the tablets and the commands of God. We are going to take a brief break from Exodus as we come into the Easter uh, season. There's some things I feel like God has laid on my heart, and we're going to go that direction. I normally don't do this, except I feel or sense that God wants me to, and, uh, and so I have to. And we'll jump back into Exodus on our way back down Mount Sinai. Amen? Really? Okay. Okay, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we hear your word. We trust your word. Let it form us. Let us see ourselves in light of that and let it change us. May we always be willing. And Lord, there's times when it's easy to give up some things. And sometimes, Lord, it's even easy to give up the costly things, but it's the, sometimes it's a small little thing we hold on to. that causes such a spiritual fatigue because we grip it so tight. And sometimes it's a minuscule, nonsensical thing to hang on to when in fact you have called us not just to give up this or to give up, you've called us to give up everything to follow you. So Father, as the layers are being peeled back, Lord, there may be a grace needed when we get to that third or fourth or fifth layer, a grace that is needed that I've not yet experienced or understand. So when that fourth or fifth layer comes and you're asking for that and I'm here at the first layer and I don't have that grace to surrender that, I pray, God, when I arrive at the fourth layer, the grace would be adequate, sufficient for me to surrender the fourth layer of myself all the way to the core of my being. May every place your spirit leads me, may grace provide the strength to surrender that part of me.
And may our words be that of John, the baptizer. May he increase. And may I decrease. Oh, God, help me to decrease. Help us all to decrease. So, Father, we bless you. We bless your word. We bless those who have gathered here today. Father, I pray that we would find ourselves in your company with lips, Lord, sealed and ears and hearts and minds wide open to hear your response. And may we sit there. May we be present in that moment to hear from you. So, Father, as we leave, may we find those places to sit in your presence, to abide, and to listen. And, Lord, may I be that type of person that the things you speak to me, may I apply, may I apply it to me and not project it on others. Father, we love you this morning, and we bless you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and we ask these things. And the sons and daughters of God said amen. 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 God bless you.